This ongoing crisis has taken so much from us. The world has changed, society has changed, and of course, as a church and as churches across the nation and across the world, programs have been stopped, literally shut down, and only now, a year and a half later, things are beginning to emerge. But what I think we've got to recognize is that we are starting our programs again in a different reality to the one that we were in when those programs were halted in March 2020. I also feel that this is the time where we've got to allow God to breathe on us as the people of God and to reset the trajectory of our mission. You see, it's not simply about what we have lost. It's also about what we are now meant to be to the people on the outside of the knowledge of Christ and the love of the Father. I see many churches in my travels where it almost seems like the monthly tithe is the membership fee and the ticket to the weekly show. Unfortunately, that is not the church. A church that is not on a mission is not a church at all. We are the diverse community of Christ followers who have been called together to journey together in the cause of reaching a lost world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is what defines the church. It is not the activities that we enjoy on a Sunday or at any other time throughout the week that has been severely disrupted, as we all know. Those things are great, but we've got to hold them in their right context. The mission of the church is what we have got to be all about. Everything must be building towards that one great endeavor. That's what Jesus was all about. That's what he implanted in the disciples, as we're going to find out in a moment. And that is the reason why the church was born at Pentecost. Before we delve into the scripture that we are going to be looking at today, I want to reference quickly another passage, and it's in Acts 28. And it's the story of when the Apostle Paul was shipwrecked off the island of Malta. 276 people were salvaged onto the holding place of that island of Malta, but the old ship was completely dismantled and destroyed by the storm, and it was a new ship that took Paul, who was actually under arrest at the time, that's another story for another day, but it was another ship that took Paul and that group of people onto their final destination, which was Rome. God, of course, knew that the storm was going to come, and he had pre-warned Paul in graphic detail what was going to happen. Perhaps that account in Acts 28 is far more important to us now than we might imagine. Maybe the right question that we should be asking ourselves is what does that new ship look like? Because I think so much of what has happened really resembles a shipwreck. We've had our programs shipwrecked. The structure and the shape of what defined church as we knew it 
until March 2020, that has been thrown onto the rocks, but we have come through it unscathed. The church lives on. The church does not exist only in its programs. The church exists because we are the body of Christ in the earth. We often like to quote, don't we, Jesus and the disciples and the early church and Paul and Timothy and Peter as our example or our template. But I think the great challenge often faces us is do we actually know what they stood for? Do we know what their lives were really like? Because their focus was on the poor and the widows and the orphans and the forgotten and the outcasts and the dislocated and the ignored. They lived for those people. They did not live for themselves. Friends, we are called to light up the world. We are not called to light up buildings. Our time, our resources, our prayer, our focus, our energy must not simply be to create meetings on a Sunday, but to create change in society throughout the week. If the teaching and the music are just the only centre of gravity for our Christianity, if they are the attractional magnets that draw us, then something needs to be added to our revelation of Jesus. We should be grateful for those things. They are wonderful in and of themselves. But as I said, they have to be held in their proper context. The church must be on a mission to change the world, to change society, and that has both an individual and a corporate element to it. So let's dive into this amazing Jesus encounter that involved, as we know, a selection of his disciples following the seismic shift in their reality and their lived experience. This is post the cross, the death of Jesus. This is after now. Jesus has now raised from the dead. He has been resurrected after three days and he is beginning to appear to his disciples. And this is perhaps the most famous encounter after the resurrection where the, where the disciples are confronted by Jesus. We're looking at John 21, verse 1 to 14, and this is the New Living Translation. Later, Jesus appeared again to the disciples beside the Sea of Galilee. This is how it happened. Several of the disciples were there, Simon, Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples. Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. Welcome too, they all said. So they went out in a boat, but they caught nothing all night. At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who it was. He called out, fellows, have you caught any fish? No, they replied. Then he said, throw out your net on the right-hand side of the boat and you will get some. So they did, and they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. Then the disciple Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. 
When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic, for he was stripped for work, jumped into the water and headed to the shore. The others stayed with the boat and pulled the loaded net to the shore, for they were only about a hundred yards from the shore. When they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them, fish cooking over a charcoal fire and some bread. Bring some of the fish you've just caught, Jesus said. So Simon Peter went aboard and dragged the net to the shore. There were 153 large fish, and yet the net had not torn. Now, come and have some breakfast, Jesus said. None of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Then Jesus served them the bread and the fish. This was the third time Jesus had appeared to his disciples since he had been raised from the dead. This is quite hilarious, to be honest. It's all going on here in this passage. They didn't even recognise Jesus at first, even though it was the third time that they'd seen him after the resurrection. That's the kind of people that we are dealing with here. It starts out as a demoralising moment in what is clearly a very bad night for fishing. Actually, it's been a pretty bad month for these chaps. Anyone relate to that? They've completed the three-year apprenticeship with Jesus, working alongside him, observing his behaviour, his actions, his reactions and his interactions with others. They've seen the sick healed and the lonely loved and even the dead raised. And now the baton is about to be passed from Jesus to them and very shortly the church is going to be born. But to be quite honest, they're not in great shape. Peter has denied that he even knew Jesus, not once, but three times. Thomas has had an extreme crisis of faith and is now looking for proof. And the less said about old Judas, the better. I wonder who it was who picked him to join the team in the first place. Now we find the Jesus boys completely out of juice and desperately in need of jump-starting. They need fresh vision for a fresh season and it's exactly the same for us. The message and the mission of the church is unchanged by COVID-19 but we need to be recharged by God if we are going to successfully operate and reach into a post-pandemic culture and society with the gospel of Jesus Christ. A few verses before the verses that we've read, before this account, which is very often called the miraculous catch or the miraculous catch of fish, a few verses before it, Peter, this rough, tough fisherman, is lost in guilt and regret as he announces to the others, I'm going fishing. He's fed up. That's what's going on there. Do you know, I go fishing sometimes. We all go fishing. It's 
part of the deal because we're not all that, to be honest. That's why Jesus restored Peter in the way that he did after the account that we've just read. It literally follows it. Jesus has that desperately difficult conversation with Peter. Peter is struggling to overcome what he had done in denying Jesus. It was predicted. He said it wouldn't happen and it did happen. It's a terrible mess that he ended up getting himself messed up in. He got himself in a terrible state because he was weak. He lacked the courage of his convictions. He couldn't carry through with what he said he would do and what he thought he was about. And so Jesus came back for him, and that's what Jesus does for us as well. These are the final days in this three-year adventure for a group of very ordinary, let's face it, people. Sometimes it's remarkable to look at the profound ordinariness of these guys, it's difficult to understand why Jesus chose such a dysfunctional group. They don't get it all wrong, of course, but the clues are there, to be honest. Peter just couldn't cope with what he had done, and he desperately needed Jesus to sort him out. He went fishing because he felt that was all he could do. He had to go back to what he knew. I know a lot of Christians and some of them are leaders who went fishing in March last year and they haven't made it back, at least not yet. And I'm not talking about attendance to meetings. I'm talking about discipleship and that commitment to follow Christ, whatever it means, whatever it costs, and wherever it takes us. To those who have messed up, to those who have lost their way, to those who have run out of juice, <laughs> Jesus has an invitation for us today. It's not an invitation to some kind of discipleship rehab class. It's an invitation to breakfast. That was the invitation. Very interestingly, Jesus is found around a charcoal fire, cooking fish and bread, and Peter dives into the water and swims to Jesus, and he is confronted by Jesus around a charcoal fire. The last charcoal fire that Peter was around was the one that he was warming his hands on while he denied that he even knew who Jesus was. From one charcoal fire to another. And now we find this incredible moment as Jesus invites Peter to breakfast. I like breakfast, I quite like lunch and dinner and late night kebabs as well. And I do think that food is going to be right at the centre of a lot of what happens in this next season of the church. A lot of it will happen 
in our kitchens and around our tables, but it must also include an invitation to those who are at the back of the food queue. It can't just be a series of Christian dinner parties. It's got to be an outstretched hand to those who are denied what we so, so often enjoy. This all happens, this moment on the shoreline, it all happens at a very similar place to the first time Jesus called them three years earlier. It may even be the exact spot. God has a habit of revisiting. He is always doing something new, but normally it has echoes of the past. We won't know the answer to the question, was it the same spot this side of eternity, but it wasn't very far away, we know that. These two events, the first one and the second one, the calling of the disciples on the, on the shoreline at Galilee and the recommissioning, if you like, of Peter and the miraculous catch of fish, fish they stand as like two towering bookends to the life and times of the disciples, that three-year journey that they were invited on, plucked out of nowhere to change the world, to be given the chance of a lifetime, and for all the ups and downs that they went through throughout that journey. And they are the bookends now on the bookshelf that contains all the books of all the stories and the accounts of what Jesus did. And that same story continues to this day on a different shelf. The Bible itself says, doesn't it, at the end of the Gospels, that the books of the world would not contain the things that Jesus did and said. So what is really going on in this passage? What on earth happened when the net went over one side of the boat and it was spectacularly ineffective. And then it went literally over the other side of the same boat and everything had changed. The disciples we find that night are faithfully trying to implement the old plan, but it's just not working anymore. I think we have to be very careful that we don't just try and implement the old plan. I don't think it will work. I think we need fresh direction, fresh vision. We need to be re-energised by the Holy Spirit. We need to be recalibrated in the hands of God to meet the challenge of this new reality that we find ourselves in. The old plan was good for a different day, but now we need a new plan. They needed a new plan. Jesus arrives and he interacts with them from the shoreline. He speaks to them, but as we've said, and it's there in the scripture, they didn't even recognize Jesus. Maybe they're thinking this is just some irritating bloke giving helpful advice from the shoreline to a group of highly experienced, very effective 
fishermen who know what they're doing, thank you very much. We've all been there, haven't we, when some know-it-all has some helpful, unsolicited advice heading in our direction, which normally means state in the flipping obvious, doesn't it? So what is it about this bit of helpful advice that makes everything different and causes this seismic shift, this dramatic change to take place in the circumstances of this fishing trip? Maybe by then, just maybe, they had learned to recognise the unmistakable voice of Jesus and something in them knew that they just had to follow these instructions. However bizarre, however weird it sounded, just maybe it was the voice of Jesus and they needed to do what they were told. Flash back a few thousand years into the Old Testament and Joshua is in a very, very similar situation. They're approaching the fortified city of Jericho, having seen a miraculous miracle in the River Jordan. The Jordan parted in the same way God had done it 40 years earlier at the Red Sea. They'd seen the miraculous power of God and now they are about to take the fortified city of Jericho by force. And God appears to Joshua and the battle plans get thrown out of the window and they are replaced with what really resembles a rather cheesy tambourine dance you know I would not would have I would not wanted to have been Joshua having to brief the generals of that particular army with the new strategy the Bible often calls that story which as we know many of us know the story they obey God and the fortified walls of the city literally collapsed miraculously supernaturally collapsed as a result of their obedience to God and to his plan, not their plan. That story is often called the Battle of Jericho. I mean, it's nonsense. God could have had that city any time he wanted it, day or night. There was no battle for Jericho. The battle was for the heart of Joshua. And it's the same with the disciples. Would they do what to their natural trained mind seems utterly bizarre out of obedience to the, the word of God, the voice that is coming out of heaven. But here's the problem, here's the great reality check that they are faced with. The net has already gone out from the boat and nothing has happened. This is clearly a bad day for fishing, a bad night for fishing. Most of us would have packed up and gone home and just written it off as a bad idea. Well, at least that's what I would have done. But now the disciples of Jesus, these fishermen apprentices, are about to cross the threshold into a whole new dimension of kingdom existence. And it would be a lesson that they would never forget and a lesson that they would depend on as they moved into everything that followed. They were simply missing an ingredient. 
The word from Jesus was everything in that moment. That's what we need as we enter this new phase. The now word from heaven mixed with the ancient word to create an alloy of divine inspiration. That is what we're going to need to depend on as we move forward from this place. It's always that way. If we are serious about saying yes to God's invitation to be fishers of men, to be workers in his harvest field, there has to be a new element that is introduced into our Christianity. It's a dependence upon the Word of God. But there's something else as well. This is not a solo effort. The miraculous catch is now safely in the net, but now it's got to be hauled into the boat and back to the shore. It's a team effort. Although if you remember from the scripture, Peter seemed to conveniently forget that bit and he dived into the water when he saw Jesus and swam back, leaving, swam, swam back, leaving the rest of them uh, the hard work of pulling the net in. But this is not something that we can do by ourselves. We've got to partner with one another and with God if we're going to see the catch brought in. And it's a catch that I believe is waiting for us. There's a famous day in the climax of the Battle of Britain in 1940 when the RAF, the Royal Air Force, were fully committed. All the Spitfires and Hurricanes were in the air, literally to a plane. There was no reserve. It was an extremely perilous, dangerous moment when the future of these islands hung so desperately in the battle and on the shoulders of those young pilots. The man who took the decision to send every plane up to meet the oncoming German planes who were seeking to bomb the south of England and London was asked this question, what is our current position? This was his response. We are all in, fully deployed. No backup, completely committed to the cause of this battle. You know, there is something in that that defines the calling upon every single one of us. No plan B, no escape route, all in for the gospel and the cause of God's kingdom. In a bit of a nod to John F. Kennedy's inauguration speech as America's president, it's no longer what I want my church to be for me. But now, what does God want to do with my life and our lives together to reach the world with the gospel? You remember that I said a few moments ago that the shoreline where Jesus re commissioned the fishermen disciples was probably very close to the place that he called them at you see places are really really important to God and to a lot of us as well but sometimes moments are created that cause a connection within us to go live a spiritual God-given divine connection that gives us the shove that we need to respond 
to the invitation. I believe that now is the time to throw the net over the other side of the boat. It will probably mean that we have got to do some things that we have done before. There was nothing wrong with their equipment. There was nothing wrong with the boat. There was nothing wrong with the lake. There was nothing wrong with the time or the personnel that were involved in it. But there was a new ingredient and there was a change of direction, albeit quite subtle in that context. I believe they are the challenges that we've got to wrestle with. We've got to say yes to God. We've got to say yes to his calling upon our lives. But we are utterly dependent upon him for the catch. Yes, we are called to be fishers of men, but we will be as unsuccessful as those disciples were if we don't recognise our complete need of God and his power to help us to get the job done. Amen.